sex is fun. You know, it's great when you have that connection and, and the love that goes along with it, but just raw animal sex is fucking hot. And who wouldn't want to do that all day, every day? My sex life has always been like trial and error. You know, like you, you try something, do you like it, yes or no? And uh, then you move on from there. For me, bad sex is when you allowed something to happen when you should have said no. First you have the sex, and then you have the sex you want. It makes me, it actually makes me question if I'm actually into what I'm into, or if I'm just still seeking that. Hi, welcome back. I'm Philip Banks, and I'm your host for the Audio Sex Party. I'm really happy you've joined us. Turns out gay guys like talking about sex. Big surprise. It's a rich subject, and when we get talking about our sex lives, it can go in all sorts of directions. I know this because together with some friends, I hosted three audio sex parties, where a few dozen men shared intimate details about the sex they have and the sex they want. From these conversations, we pulled out ten themes that we've woven into our first season of this podcast, for your oral pleasure. In our pilot episode, we started off the party by talking about cruising. And in this episode, we'll listen to guys talk about how the internet has changed the ways we find sex. So come on in and join the party. It was it was all anonymous, and I to this day. Yeah, I think I think there's kind of like a standard rundown when it comes to like a grinder conversation for a hookup, and like one like you'll be like, hey, sup. <laughs> and then you'll be like, oh, just chilling. How about you? And then they'll be like, same. And then they'll be like, looking? Be like, yeah. Into? And then like once you hit into, then it's like, oh, here's everything. Hi, everyone. My name is David DeAndre. I am a young black gay man who works in public health research, specifically around gay guys or guys who are into guys. When I got to the party, the first thing that I noticed was the varying age differences between all of the the participants there. Like there were people there that were like my age, but then there were also people there that could have been like my grandfather, for example. So I think that also made like the conversation so um, enriching, just because there were so many multiple there were multiple perspectives in that space. Uh, Grinder really has changed like, the world. I never even used gay.com. I was on yeah. the tail end. It always felt outdated yeah. when I st- like my oh, it was terrible. <laughs> like compared yeah. to like, you know, what's available now, it was like only a matter of time before. Being able to see a hundred guys uh, or a hundred users on Grinder around you, it now kinda seems really commonplace. But about a decade ago when Grinder came out, it wasn't. It was scary and exciting. Uh, and really vulnerable. My name is Jamie Wu. I am a writer uh, based out of Toronto, and I'm best known probably for my book, Meat Grinder, uh, which kind of looked at the design of the most infamous hookup app and uh, how that influenced uh, not just users, but really gay culture at large. We know that cruising has existed for a very long time. It absolutely predates the digital era. But what Grindr did that was different was it allowed for greater accessibility. Now, anywhere that you had a data signal or a Wi-Fi signal, you could see potential men around you who were looking to hook up. That felt revelatory. It felt magical. It felt amazing in ways I think we don't 
necessarily appreciate anymore because all of this magic is so commonplace now. A large, a large amount of the sex that I get and the sex that I want does come from online spaces. Um, originally, that came from the the sort of like grinder and scruff, um, just because I wasn't introduced to going to like cruising spaces or like I really didn't have that like intergenerational piece of like someone showing me the ropes of like here or here are the gay bars that we go to here's here are the spaces for cruising it was a lot of like figuring things out on your own um and grinder was a very easy fix just because it was something that like a lot of the gays my age were talking about and it was really like our primary introduction into like gay life I think what might be being lost is that sort of more material, more embodied sense of collectivity and collective eroticism. That was Gary Kinsman. He joined us in the pilot episode where he talked about cruising. You know, if you went to Hanlon's Point or if you went to Philosopher's Walk or Queen's Park, even if you only had sexual interactions with a couple of people that night, you knew that there were lots of other men there who were engaging in sexual interactions with other men. Not that you necessarily even knew who they were, not that you necessarily even needed to know who they were, but you had this more social collective sense. And I do have a fear that some of that might be being lost. I I might have to disagree. Like, I think that, if anything, there's a heightened level of, like, sexual embodiment. Like, I just think that... Whenever I'm on on those apps, like I'm always just thinking about all of the guys around me that that are thinking about sex or they're thinking about meeting with meeting up with other guys. Like I don't think that one takes away from the other. I think it's just one is um, embodying the same elements in a different way. I feel like I'm connected to like queer guys all around the world. It was fruitful in the sense that like. It's super convenient that someone is four feet away and they're looking and they can invite you over. Um, I think there became a piece where I just got a little tired of that. And then a lot of the sex that I started having started coming within like my own social networks. So whether that was within my friend groups or... Um, a little sparsed out in like my social media following. So just being able to build a connection, like sliding in someone's DMs, you know, and starting to have a conversation and that progress into something sexual and then being able to just jump off from there and say, hey, let's hang out, let's have a drink and then like fuck eventually. Obviously with the apps too, there's a sense of like trying to, you know, categorize yourself and like Mm. make sure that you align and that, you know, all the stars Mm. and moons are aligning together that we can actually make this happen Mm. when you can just try it, you know, yeah. like, why, yeah, why have to, like, yeah, I fear, like, it's, like, ordering in and dehumanizing it on some yeah. level, right, like, like, that you're not talking to people in bars, <laughs> like, I met some, I had some really good times with people in bars, like, went on to be friends, I don't know. The thing about, about Grindr, Scruff, and all those spaces is that it, it can be very toxic, like, it can be a place where you're doing your online shopping, right, like, there isn't so much a regard for the person, but it's a regard for the attributes of what that person can give them, right? I think people sometimes think that it's a compliment that someone's messaging you because you're, I don't know, you could be this big, tall black guy, or you're this, you've got this big black cock for them, or, you know, you're this twinky little Asian guy, so you're going to be super submissive. But, like, 
a lot of the time I always take that as such an insult that you don't even take the time to like consider me as a person, right? You're considering me as an object, as a sexual tool, um, nothing to do with who I am or what I'm interested in. When you have everyone in a grid, uh, people do choose it like a vending machine snack, and they feel um, that they can objectify the people who are on the app in a similar way. Uh, there's a fantastic experiment uh, around the paradox of choice, and what that means is uh, they gave uh, one group of volunteers six different jams to choose from. And the volunteers got to choose one out of the six. And then they gave a second group 36 different jams to choose from. When we have so much choice, we get really um, weighed down by figuring out whether or not we actually made the right choice. And we leave feeling less satisfied than the people who had fewer choices. And what I think happens on Grinders when we have so many different people available to us, we end up um, having to get almost into a checklist mentality. And I think that's why sometimes people prefer Tinder, where you have that one person at a time that you're considering, and you're not having to make those judgment calls across the different users. One of the things we can do when we use Grinder is try to pay attention to each user and see them as a person rather than as just a, a face in a grid. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like I'm, I'm at the age that I, I like, I'm riding that cusp. Like I'm just, I had, you know, a little bit of the non-technology, yeah. but then I, I do see how it's deteriorating us. Like it, it really is mm-hmm. even just the way we, we can formulate sentences, you know, we're mm-hmm. all thinking things in much shorter fragments and, and that kind of how our sex happens in these small little spurts mm. all the time, and you're not making it long, like yeah. uh, more complex and like growing in ways and more organic. I understand people's criticisms of Grinder and how it seemingly killed gay culture, and how a lot of people thought it would displace the clubs and the bars. Uh, and to some point, it has because now you could stay home and find someone to hook up with without having to go to the bar. Uh, But it just meant the bar scene had to change. But I think what people tend to forget about it is that it allowed more people to actually uh, meet other different types of people. If you're really shy, you can now message someone uh, through Grindr rather than having to go up to them in person. Maybe you're better communicating through writing versus going face-to-face. People have social anxiety, and I don't think that just because some people have less social anxiety or other people can overcome their social anxiety means that they're more worthy to hook up. Technology has been very helpful, but at the same time, a great deterrent of uh, truthfulness and, uh, and, and sincerity. So on the one hand, you're able to ask all kinds of questions to people. On the other hand, I know three sentences in or three texts in whether the guy is full of shit or not. Uh, my name is Francisco Ibanez Carrasco. I'm a 56-year-old 56, 56 cool daddy. I'm a person with HIV for... Uh, 34 years. I'm a researcher at St. Michael's Hospital here in Toronto. And I'm a writer. When I walked into the audio sex party, there were a lot of people here, but I don't remember much because I go to a lot of parties and they're not all about talking. 
I came from a generation, a country where you hooked up uh, on a corner, like a prostitute, right? And and you you walked up and down a particular neighborhood or set of blocks until somebody opened the door of a car. Can you imagine that? And uh, at 16, you would just go into the car and off you went with some Christian guy from the suburbs to have sex and until he freaked out or just shot his load, freaked out and uh, kicked you out of the car. So it's a, it's a big kind of uh, evolution for me and I kind of love it that is so civilized and safe. The problem is when you, the conversation via technology is always a little bit more stilted. In person, I recall the conversations being, people are not telling you the truth either. Why would they, right? You're a stranger. But in a bar or in a bathhouse or in a, a what is it called, a dark room or in the street or, or getting uh, cruising someone and getting on their car, you have to ask more explicit or very wise questions because uh, your life is a little bit more closer to the abyss. And, and this I was telling to my boyfriend earlier today, uh, because he gets a little bit nervous. He's 20 years younger than I am, and he's like, are we going to have a bottom tonight? And I said, well, I have three offers, and the reality is you can have 300 offers, and you will still have no one at your door, right? And I said, well, you know, relax. You're young, let's have a sex, a sexting orgy. Because in the end, that's all we do, right? We ended up just sexting, and so enjoy. When Grinder was first introduced, um, you could tell that it was created by men who lived in the city because um, it was really about proximity through the grid and meeting someone really, really quickly. Uh, over the past 10 years, though, we've noticed more and more apps on our phones requiring our attention. There are so many notifications, and that always-on culture is really tiring. I think Grindr is no exception. Um, I think that after being on the app for a while, um, that kind of romanticization of sex kind of goes away. It just becomes almost like um, an obligation. You open up the app, you see who's around, you respond to some messages, you expect some people to flake, uh, I think that many users have uh, had a, uh, the experience where it's late at night, you're aroused, you might want some company, you turn on the app, and you spend 45, 60, 90 minutes chatting with people, kind of getting somewhere, kind of not, not sure if they're going to come over, and realizing that maybe it would have just been better to watch some porn and jerk off and be done with it. Well, one thing we find interesting, uh, because we have, we have a similar situation, like everyone talks a good game online, but then they don't follow through. Um, but we're able to uh, often use an app like Snapchat, where you've got guys who maybe don't want to come over to your place, but are willing to to interact inter interact very good word interact you know uh, through text or through video or through photos in real time really um, so you sometimes young, really you can do with that I know we're just snapshots I, need to, you I gotta... need to slap someone down man or or get it hard sorry <laughs> I'm all about the sense well no so we we do that with each other but the oh in the, front of the other guys yeah but this the the snapchat provides the catalyst for yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'll write that down thank you um <laughs> It, it, it's 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 kind of like a lubricant. 
Yes. So media it, is. It, 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 it gives us a bit of excitement to get us going. Uh, all we need really is each other, but it's so nice to you sort of have, have beautiful that eyes. You can oh. get me going. Oh. Just for that. <laughs> no, it's true. Well, I uh, I got on Snapchat um, not super early, but it was fairly early, maybe 2012 or 2013. Um, I had already had uh, a number of uh, kind of sexy social media profiles. So, um, so for instance, I was I was in. Uh, Twitter and Tumblr and, you know, sort of posting, you know, naughty pictures and being flirty and, uh, you know, showing people my dick and, and I love that. Uh, you know, but doing that from 2008, 9, 10. Um, so I had a, a pretty good social media following on those platforms. Um, not tens of thousands, but thousands. My name is Billy Axelrod. Uh, I am a out gay man. Um, I've been living in Toronto for just about 10 years. Uh, full disclosure, I am American. Um, so I thought it would be fun. Every time a new platform started, uh, you know, and people, all of a sudden, no one's talking about Twitter, everyone's on Instagram. And then no one's on Instagram, everyone's on Snapchat. Uh, you know, and then Instagram started doing their stories and kind of stole people back from Snapchat. Um, so I thought it would be fun to sort of extend my, my dirty social media brand. Um, you know, onto some of the, the newer apps. Uh, and I like Snapchat because the idea that the picture disappears is, um, is great because you can be, you know, risky and then, you know, and then it, it disappears after all. So the risk is somewhat, uh, somewhat moderate. Um, but it, it's great. It worked well for me because I, one, I had a platform, I already had a platform to promote my new Snapchat. So, so I instantly had you know, hundreds and then thousands of followers on Snapchat, which was a lot of fun. Um, but it was great for me as an exhibitionist because then I get to, you know, show people my dick, show people my hole, show people, you know, watch me jerking off. I'm going to come, I'm going to eat my cum. Uh, you know, even taking a leak. I, I, I'm really into water sports. So, you know, just the act of waking up in the morning, you know, and taking a piss first thing in the morning and, and showing people and having dozens and dozens of people right back. Wow, wow that's so hot. You know, that's a that's a huge turn on for me. So it's like curated <laughs> porn. Like you're on Snapchat with some guy and you can like tell him like basically you're like dictating to some degree where what he's going to do, what he's going to offer you. It's manipulation porn. Right. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it curated porn. It's probably manipulation porn because um, they're all so thirsty. You're able to say do this or show me that or say this or, you know, let's do this together. And they are like totally willing and it's and it's nice because you get to de make demands and oh maybe curated in 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 the way that you get to pick and choose what 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 you want but um but you can you can certainly make demands but it's a bit of a mystery too right because like it's interactive like they can also tell you things that they might want you to do exactly and then you can react exactly <laughs> from that exactly which is kind of cool because it adds a bit of a twist into like I imagine what's happening with you guys sexually together, right? Right. One uh, one other thing that uh, that my husband found super interesting about Snapchat is it uh, for whatever reason the app really caught fire in Brazil. So it's it we were getting people were snapping us left and right, bom dia, bom dia, and you know, and pictures of you know of their uncut Brazilian cock. And, you know, and for two, like, white Jewish guys, like, you know, we can't get enough foreskin. So it was 
a steady stream. Nana is a steady stream of 20-something eyes, but it was 20-something uncut cock, which is, you just don't get enough of that. And so we were learning Portuguese, and we're using the Google Translate to sort of, you know, say, hey, we're, we're great, how are you? You know, um, what do you like? Are you a top? Are you a bottom? Um, so we were learning a little bit of Portuguese while we were uh, playing on the Snapchat as well. I think that we're starting to reach this point of grinder fatigue. I think that we are realizing that the kinds of experiences that we get on Grindr are very specific and that they um, can often lead to miscommunication around what's happening. A lot of people in their profiles are asking for friends. And sure, some people may be disingenuous about that, but I think people are looking for a genuine connection. They're looking for different ways to meet people. And whether or not it's just the reputation that Grindr's always had or the way that it's been built and designed to be used, people are starting to hope for more than just the 100 people closest to them. And so I think we're starting to see people use Twitter and Instagram and other uh, platforms where you can learn more about people, sliding into those DMs and realizing that maybe what made Grindr special wasn't Grindr itself, but that availability to uh, vocalize what you wanted and then taking that with them to other platforms. Some of like some of the best hookups that I've had have come from Instagram where like we were talking for for months, talking for months and then I literally just got up and said like I'm coming to LA and he was like, "Okay, cool, stay on my couch." And I mean, the first time that we hooked up like we we had sexed before, but the first time that we hooked up, like I just remember, it was like hours on end, and it was just a matter of just like the first bit, just being foreplay and kissing and just like sensual touching, because we had always talked about how much that was something that we liked. It wasn't something that was a quick like jackhammer fuck and then go. So I think knowing your partner through Instagram or Facebook or whatever and having those conversations of what you like and then meeting up with them to have sex and like implementing that that's that's huge thanks for joining the audio sex party on this episode you heard David DeAndre Jamie Wu Gary Kinsman Francisco Ibanez Carrasco Billy Axelrod. But we also heard lots of other voices too. And we want to thank them for coming to the party and sharing their stories. Join us next time. We'll hear guests talk about the kinds of kinks that turn them on and make their sex lives hot, hot, hot. The way I get the sex I want is by continuing to figure out who the hell I am and loving that self that I find and then letting other people know who I am and asking them to accept that. The way that I get the sex I want is through posting thirst traps online. Um, I mean, it's the truth. It works really well, actually, so... (laughs)